are these alien worlds or are these alternate dimensions? Grant McKay made the right choice for the fish strippers, yeah. by the way. Yeah, that's somebody's daughter. That should be a spinoff, just like fish strippers. I think I have an issue in a, in a box of more. <laughs> Welcome to Quarantine Comics. I'm Robin Segel. I'm Ryan Joe, And we are two dudes who don't know much, but for the next 45 minutes, we'll pretend to know something about comic books. We sure will. So we are actually recording this episode on Father's Day. Happy Father's Day, everyone. And what better comic to mark the occasion than Black Science, also known as How to Be a Terrible Father, Break the Laws of Nature, Put Your Kids at Risk, Attempt to Save Them, Put All Versions of Reality at Risk, and Blame It on the Inevitable Predetermined Destiny That Is the Universe. Well, Roman, you had me at child endangerment and emotional abuse. <laughs> well, there is only forward, Ryan. So Black Science by Rick Remender and Matteo Scalera is about the journey of one man, Grant McKay, who, as you can gather, is a terrible father, but he is trying to be better most of the time kind of some of the time maybe for one might call the majority but he's really trying during all the really important parts of the story so grant is an anarchy preferring punk rock scientist a former member of the anarchistic order of scientists who has a long-held contempt for the system and the man eventually like so many of us grant eventually gets the girl starts a family and goes broke which inevitably leads him to buckle on his principles and take a job for a big corporation working under this longtime rival a guy named kadir the company, Block, funds Grant's groundbreaking research into interdimensional travel, resulting in an invention he calls the Pillar. Now, why would a multinational corporation want to pierce the veil of quantum probabilities? It ain't for scientific discovery. We're talking loot and plunder, baby. Grant ultimately discovers an eververse of alternate realities, theorized to be like an onion, one based on an infinite variety of choices made by everyone everywhere. However, once the Pandora's box of the Pillar is open, chaos reigns as it always does, as it always has. Soon, Grant and his team are lost in an ocean of strange new realities worlds and alien cultures they encounter native american conquests mind controlling millipedes green gods bargaining witches and of course monkey spirits gone rogue they're in a healthy mix of adultery and wife stealing and what starts as a fast-paced sci-fi action drama soon morphs to a story about family choices and growth so a real family-friendly romp through the multiverse now joining ryan and i on our journey through the quantum layers of the onion is my pal from an alternate timeline josh hi josh hey Happy Father's Day. How's it going? Going well, man. So once upon a time, Josh and I shared a love for Star Wars, Weezer, and Mexican food in the great state of Alabama. We also shared a desire to get out of Alabama. Now, like me, he's a family man and also really into comics and spreadsheets. But he lives in the burbs of Chicago, a wretched hive of scum and villainy. Untrue. <laughs> Untrue? <laughs> It cleaned up when Josh got there. <laughs> Every day he's cleaning it up. So Josh, I'm so excited to nerd out on a comic book with you. One that you're into. It's been a while. It's been a while. Yeah. So tell us about yourself. What are you into? What do you do? What kind of comics do you like? Uh, well, truth be told, I stopped collecting comics maybe three years ago. Uh, I just decided it was an expense I could no longer impose on the family. So <laughs> I kind of gave it up. And Black Science was actually the last title that I subscribed to before giving it up. But over the years, my favorites have been Transmetropolitan, Preacher, A League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, but probably all-time favorite, Invincible, with which you turned me on to. Oh, yeah. You know, I also kicked the habit of buying books. And when I discovered the library system, you could reserve books and they would deliver them to your local branch. I, I felt like I was stealing because I, I didn't steal the books, but I was getting to read so many. I, I kept the comic habit alive through the library system, I should say. Yeah. And so. you're probably you've probably turned me back onto it because uh, 
this project, finishing Black Science, uh, I discovered Hoopla. And I've actually, since finishing it, I've started reading some other things. What's next on your reading list? Well, I'm actually rehashing some some ones that I really enjoyed in the past. I started Pax Romana by Jonathan Hickman, oh. which is a really short. It's only four books. That's a fantastic one. I was on a Rick Remender, Jeff Lemire tear. So I mentioned this in the preview when we talked about this last, but I really have become a fan in the last three years as I've discovered both Remender and Lemire because I feel like they're the modern era Warren Ellis, Mark Millar, just kind of telling these batshit crazy stories that are either with superheroes or just with normal people living in neighborhoods or sci-fi scientists, you know, dimension hopping. And I don't know, I found, I found this book really fun when I discovered it a few years ago. And I it, I just kind of fell off the wagon because I think I got as far as it was. And it's just kind of fun to read it from start to finish. I, I don't know, Ryan, what'd you think? What are your overall impressions of the book? Of Black Science? Or I actually was just going to mention that I think it's just interesting that Jeff Lemire, you know, is kind of like now ingrained as a science fiction sort of guy, considering that the book that put him on the map was Essex County, the sort of very yeah. personal Canadian story. Anyway, Black Science. Okay, so I don't think I liked it quite as much as you guys did. I'm just going to put that out there. Podcast over. <laughs> yep. Uh, <laughs> and I was trying to figure out why, because actually, I love the art. The art is fantastic. I think, yeah, who is the artist? Uh, Matteo Scalera. Who also did Low. That dude's got range in terms of depicting quieter moments, in terms of depicting action, in terms of just showcasing all of these different worlds that these Dimensionauts travel to. The guy's got some fantastic range that I don't really see that. He kind of reminded me of like a more kinetic version of John Cassidy. And I, I actually liked Black Science a lot in spurts. Actually, one of my favorite episodes issues was literally the last issue, uh -huh. which I think is one of the few times they actually incorporated the whole idea of dimension hopping, like actually into the storytelling, into the way the narrative is structured. And I have wished that Remender, how do you pronounce, where's the accent? Is it Remender? Rem I'm the wrong guy to ask that. I, but yeah, I see what you're saying. I think it's Reminder. <laughs> I wish Reminder remembered to do it a little bit more often. I think there was more opportunity to be playful with what he was doing in, with Black Science, a story that's kind of hopping to parallel Earths with the structure. And I kind of was a little bit disappointed when that only sort of emerged at the very end. I'll tell you my fundamental problem with the book later on, but I'm curious, Josh, what did you think of it? I know that you're a big fan and I want to know what, what resonated with you about this. I'm actually not a big fan. Uh, I, th I thought it was pretty good. Maybe but, in an alternate uh, <laughs> Earth, in alternate Earth, you're a big fan. Yeah, I started subscribing to it because it really appealed to me. I, I found it a slog when I was uh, subscribing to it. I would read one issue a month when it came out, and I would find myself just lost. And so by issue 28 is when I kind of called it quits. And I was like, I'll, I'll pick this up when it comes back in the trade paperback. So I'm really glad that you chose this as the top for, for me to come in on. Because I did enjoy like finishing it and getting some closure on it. But I thought it was great in spurts. There's a, a lot of aspects about it that I quite enjoyed. The characters, like the different races, some of the, the different dimensions they jump into are really fantastic. But as a, a piece of storytelling, like the entire story from beginning to end, it, it, I didn't think it was fantastic. Yeah, I think I definitely don't think it's one of the greats, but I think it was a great ride. You said, Ryan, you said something earlier where that episode, it felt 
like a TV show on speed and almost like how shows, the good shows have seasons that move the narrative along. Like the first two volumes, so to speak, are literally just one clusterfuck after the other of like, and I I do have a major issue that I can't suspend my disbelief around like alternate realities and stuff, but, and I accept alternate realities, but it's just like the way they kind of handle the butterfly effect. Yeah. There's some really crazy stuff that you can't explain with the butterfly effect. And you have to, again, suspend disbelief if a man can crawl walls, right? But I liked it when it really slowed down. When it was the mindfuck of, oh, we're back on Earth and everything we did, nothing has changed, or two years later. Yeah, or when Block was actually like pillaging other dimensions and things were still happening on Earth. Yeah. I thought that was like the most compelling stuff. Or even the Marriage Counselor episode, Mm. like that was... Yeah, that was okay. Yeah, it's just like when he would take a second to step out of the roller coaster thrill ride that the first two books were, and let's take a break. Let's take a pause and really let it sink in. What are the consequences of some of this stuff or how human characters would react to some of this versus the anarchistic F all, let's just keep messing up reality. The first third, I guess the first two books kind of fall into this familiar pattern where they are zapped to this new dimension where they encounter strange aliens that are hostile. Shit goes down. They're zapped to a new dimension. Strange aliens that are hostile. Shit goes down. It And it repeats. And I think the book really started to get interesting for me when everyone is zapped to a different dimension. And that's about a third of the way through. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that was interesting because, first off, it changed the pattern that I was getting a little bit tired of. It slowed down. And also, the first two dimensions that we see are reflective of the desires, the psychologies of the people who are zapped there. So we see Rebecca in this dimension where she's reunited with her brother, which is really what she wants. Oh, that was such a good issue. That was such a good issue. And later we see Pia in a dimension where she suddenly has agency and power and respect. I thought both of those were great because they were reflective of the psychologies of characters. It wasn't just, oh, hey, you're in, an, in a place where aliens are trying to kill you, which again, you know, that's fine as an opener, but you know, you kind of want to move on with the show. <laughs> I think one thing that really bothered me is, and I don't know if it was an intentional choice or they were making it up as they went, the creators, is the wife that Grant is cheating on is this abstract person. We have to get you back to your mom. We have to get you back to your mom. And you have flashbacks of him arguing with her, but she doesn't show up. I mean, I guess the alternate reality version of her shows up at some point, but she doesn't become a character until the last half of the book. And I feel she became more fleshed out, but I felt most of them were caricatures, actually. And I think that's part of the way Remender kind of has the same trick that he uses when he's defining the characters, which is that, you know, let's just take Grant, for instance. Somebody will just tell Grant why he is the way he is. And that's supposed to be like the sub-in for his character. So he'll encounter his daughter from another dimension who's acting like a psychologist and she'll kind of explain his motivations to him or he'll encounter like a giant head on a mountain who will explain his (laughs) motivations to him and again this is another pattern it kind of repeats and the one time I think that Remender did a really good job characterizing Grant was during the weird puppet show when you see some of that childhood trauma actually dramatized so there's I mean not to be cliche and say show don't tell but when it comes to really a lot of the characters, there's a lot of showing that happens where, or sorry, there's a lot of telling that happens where somebody else will just explain what makes this character tick in exposition. And I found that to be really, really infuriating too, because, you know, the real power, there's a lot of really great drama that could happen in theory, but the fact that it's all just sort of like written out on the page, explained to you through dialogue is a little bit, it's sort of deadening. Yeah. Everybody's got beef with Grant and they're going to all tell each other about why that beef is. Over and over again. They do it over and over 
over again by the ninth volume i'm like i know you guys said that i know he's a narcissist you guys tell us he's a narcissist every episode <laughs> and i, I want to get your take on grant mckay as the protagonist because i know he's supposed to be a flawed protagonist they make that very very clear but i, I was kind of thinking there's a point where the protagonist is too flawed to really support the weight of this epic and i think grant mckay i think he's too thin of a character to really support the weight that rick remender wants him to support you know he's not a compelling enough human being to really drive the drama over nine volumes and it just was curious how you guys felt about him i have a theory about grant mckay and i tried to dig up a little bit of evidence for it but i can't really find anything definitive but my theory is that rick reminder came up with the idea for grant mckay i think he's based off of ian mckay from fugazi and minor threat the punk DIY of Frontman. I found some evidence in uh, Reddit AMAs that he is a big punk fan, so I feel like that lends a little credence to it. But I think that that's really the basis for Grant McKay. He's just an idea of two genres kind of slammed together, like punk rock scientist. And it is pretty thin. Like, it's basically Buckaroo Banzai and Ian McKay put together. Hmm. What's your take on Grant, uh, Roman? It's funny. When I asked Josh to do this, he made the the joke about Father's Day. And at that point, I knew we were going to reread it. I knew I kind of enjoyed it the first time I read half of it. And so I read it through the lens of being a father. And that literally was the lens I read and judged him against. And he made me really angry. The first half of the book, Grant, made me really angry. And sure, he makes the right choices later, but it was kind of a thin... It's when he decides we're going to go to every dimension and make it better. And to be very clear, still makes the wrong selfish choice for himself because it's the the Star Trek thing. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. He got it wrong. In every issue. (laughs) He first should have focused on the needs of the few. No, no, he should have done the needs of the few at the beginning, right? His family and the bad behavior that I just got really like boiled my blood about him. And again, I guess that's a good character because he had an impact on me as I read it, um, judging him. And then he has a flip of conscience and decides to make the right selfish choice at the expense of the rest of the universe later on. And so it was just kind of like this thin snap. Oh, so it takes your kids being stranded in other dimensions for you to wake up and give a shit. Or it takes you tearing apart all of reality. And to your point, Josh, he still makes the wrong decision. They're like, oh, yeah, he, he overcompensates completely. Yeah. Like, like even when he has the evidence that every jump brings the possibility of just destroying every every dimension, I'm still going to do it. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and, and the one thing I did enjoy is the, the concept of when Kadir and Block reveal, oh, we've been through this so many times. Grant McKay is like almost this constant in the universe. So Grant McKay less as a person, like yeah, I could give a shit about him because like he's a terrible person. But as a concept of he is chaos embodied and he always exists in every reality because. Yeah, I, that, that's I found that a lot more compelling was the fact that each of them are like a force unto themselves, just a block force. There's a Kadir force. There's a Grant force that made up a lot for the flimsiness of Grant that he's just this fuck up who just completely makes the wrong decision time and time and time again and you kind of want to like him but then the next issue happens and you don't like him again well and so the thing that gave me a little bit of pause and hope until like the last issue was you know once Grant has his intellect robbed of, and he gives it up willingly right and he learn but his children of him yeah you're right that that was a good decision that gave me so much hope as as a flawed human being who has a kid that I hope I'm not putting too much hope into but I was like oh Pia makes the right call. Nate makes the right call. But 
not because of Grant. <laughs> Nate has to go get another father figure in, who's like Superman, right? To undo it. I like what you were saying, Josh, about Grant being a force of nature. And I like when Remender kind of brought that in as an idea in theory. But my problem is that he really brings it up at the end, like maybe volume eight or something like that. Over those eight volumes, we've been doing this deep dive into Grant's psychology, into his mm -hmm. failures as a human being. So to suddenly say, well, no, he's just a force of nature and he's this virus he's programmed into. It's like, no, 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 bullshit. You've been building him up as this flawed human being for eight volumes. You don't get to just cop out now and say, I'll be like, no, nah, yeah. he's just a virus. So it's sort of like- his mommy issues, his daddy issues. Yeah, you set him up as a flawed human. You got to pay it off within those terms. So that was my issue with that, even though I kind of liked that idea, maybe in theory. My biggest issue with Grant, it's not that he's a fucked up human being or that he's smug, he's arrogant, prone to shoot first, ask questions later. It's that he is incompetent. He is supposed <laughs> to be this brilliant scientist and throughout the entire volume the nine volume series we never see him do anything brilliant or anything scientific <laughs> you know like when tony stark needs to get out of the cave he builds an iron man suit out of scrap <laughs> when walter white in breaking bad gets in deep shit he makes some chemical he builds something he sciences his way out sciences his way out. Grant never sciences his way out of shit. He shoots. All he does is he knows how to, he flies around, he shoots. And, you know, I thought it was so telling that there's that moment when he loses his genius intellect. And when that happens, there's literally no change. Stupid Grant and genius Grant, exactly the same. Same outcome. Yeah, same outcome, same personality, same thoughts. He's a one-hit wonder. Yeah, but you've been setting him up as a super scientist genius who invented the pillar, who found the, the cure for malaria. You know, Remender has to have him do something, build something to get out of the trouble. Even if what he builds and does gets him into even more trouble, we need to see Grant do something that nobody else around him can possibly do. And be I guess he's more of an engineer than a scientist. Yeah, he also builds vaccines. So there's a man of apparently multiple talents, <laughs> but only in exposition in real time when the drama is actually happening. He just kind of gets angry and tries to punch somebody who usually doesn't deserve to be punched at that time. He's, he's a very James T. Kirk character. I was really disappointed when the League of the Anarchic Scientists that they didn't uh, ever show up. Like that was like top billing that he <laughs> in the very first episode, they were talking about how he like he was a member of this organization. And we never get to see that organization. Like, that's what I signed up for. I want to know who these scientists are and what they're doing. Instead, we get the lame League of Ethical Champions. <laughs> Such a yeah. great name. <laughs> so terrible. <laughs> There's kind of a lot of like, like saying he's going to show you something and then not showing you the thing that you want to see the most. Like what you mentioned, the League of Anarchist Scientists, Grant being a genius, but also at the end when Kadir beats Doxta, he tricks her. And that's sort of like, oh, you want to see that dramatized. You want to see that battle of wits dramatized. And it Nothing. all happens off screen. Yeah, that pissed me off so bad. <laughs> so bad. I, I was like, she she was built up as this like godlike villain across the entire Eververse and building it up, building it up like the main bo boss battle is coming up. And Kadir's just like, nope, I'm next. And then cut to 1984. Just yeah. And so lazy. So lazy. What, and, and, you know, I mean, that, that just kind of underscores for me that Kadir gets a really bad rap, like literally throughout this. You know, he's a bureaucrat. He's kind of smarmy. But ultimately, for me, he was the most interesting character in this entire series, yeah, especially because he alternated between villain 
and Hero. And oftentimes, even at the very beginning, I was really rooting for Kadir. At the very beginning, he says, Grant always gets his children killed, or somebody says that. I, I kind of remember thinking, yeah, that'd be great. Grant, get the children killed. I want to see this happen because you're such an idiot. This would be what you deserve. And so I constantly just felt myself just rooting for Kadir to come out on top. What did you guys think? Well, of he, does. But he, he, but he does. He does. He does. Every time. Every time he does. Well, I, I thought the turning point was when he kind of killed Block with Harlow, the, the defiler, the, the big demon Muppet. I thought that was going to be like a major turning point for Kadir. Like, oh, this, this is going to be really interesting. But instead, they kind of kept him down like the same path. It's like just sort of waiting in the wings, trying to get the better of Grant. Well, when they when they established that, you know, Grant is kind of a recurring theme and Kadir and Block kept trying over and over. I actually didn't mind that unveiling of this ain't Kadir's first rodeo. He's done it a bazillion times or at least four or five. Right. And so it ain't his first rodeo. He knows how to deal with Grant, but it, it just seems like a lot of work to have to deal with Grant. And you wonder, like, he is more interesting. He goes back and forth, but it's just like, so is he going to switch sides every time when he starts over again? Because when Grant gets supposedly killed in the first few issues, Kadir comes out on top, literally as the knight in shining armor. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, so I was thinking about that because I thought that was going to be a changing point for Kadir because initially he's always has this evil grin on his face when you first meet him. He's in the suit. He's got a man bun. He sabotaged the pillar. You know, so he seems almost like a stereotypical CEO villain. And then he has this moment of extreme nobility when we think Grant's going to die and Grant thinks he's going to die. And he says, you know, save my kids. And he's like, I'm going to save the kids. I'm going to wear armor while I'm doing it. It's going to be awesome. And he looks like the <laughs> hero, even though everyone hates him. And then after that, he kind of goes back to being a villain and I was wondering what is Rick Remender trying to do with Kadir and then I kind of felt that ultimately Kadir is whatever Remender needs him to be at the time when he, he's a villain when the story needs a villain and he's a hero when he needs to be a hero maybe this book proves a point of this book is Remender's kind of sandbox he can do whatever he wants with the characters whenever he wants he can create any alien universe he's literally dealing with all of reality and when you have no constraints placed on you then I actually think constraints make for better art I think constraints make for better product. Constraints make for better engineering. And in the building of this product, this book, he literally had no constraints and he could do whatever he wanted with the characters. And he didn't have to back them into corners. None of them had any constraints. They all had infinite do-over buttons, right? And maybe that's why it's not as interesting. Maybe that's why the characters aren't as challenged because he could do anything he wanted with them. Yeah, you know, that's kind of. I was kind of kept thinking about Rick and Morty. Do you guys watch? Well, they do. Yeah, they do it well. They do it well. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say this is Rick and Morty taken seriously, but they explore a lot of the same themes. I mean, there's actually a Rick and Morty episode where Rick loses his intellect. The difference is that when Rick loses his intellect, you can definitely tell. And there's also another episode where Jerry, Morty's father, is sort of replaced. But before that, there's this discussion of, hey, you know, even though he can kind of get a new Jerry. You aren't really his father. You're unique. And so, and at the end of that Rick and Morty episode, they actually kind of replace that Jerry. They just kind of swap him almost as if they're baseball cards. And it's actually kind of poignant because you get the sense of this father who's just sort of lost his son, even though he's been kind of replaced with an alternate version of himself. And so there's basically, there's a way to kind of handle you know, even though there's infinite do-overs, there's infinite grants, there's infinite versions of all of his children. There's a way to make that individual Grant or Pia that we've been following and when they're gone or when they're at risk, make it feel as if there's real danger, real stakes involved. And I think Remender doesn't quite, as you were saying, I forgot it was Josh Roman who was saying it, but, you know, because, you know, Remender at the end is so liberal with the do-over button, I feel it kind of loses that impact. 
And eventually you kind of lose track of which grant is which. Yeah, that goes down to the final issue. And I was on the fence about whether, I still am on the fence about whether I liked it or not as the as the cap for the, the entire series where grant one and grant two, they're on the flip side. One's leading, you know, the perfect 1984 life and the other is is uh, bucking it. And it feels like the primary grant gets his kids killed again. And the entire series ends with him and Sarah making the decision that they're just going to jump to the happy grant path off happy grant and Sarah and just step in as their Pia and, uh, and Nathan's parents, which is incredibly horrible. <laughs> yeah. Um, just on so many levels. And, and not, not to mention the fact that supposedly everybody was like growing, like there was some sort of climax to, to all these characters, but just the redo. I mean, you might as well have just started over from issue one. What were your reservations? I just want to ask Josh, you know, cause you weren't sure if you liked it or not. What were your reservations with the way it ended that way? It just, they harped on so much about parenthood and like doing anything for your kids that I don't know. It just rubbed me the wrong way to feel like you would even jump into a parallel universe and murder yourself just so you could be a parent again. You would put the entire, the totality of reality at risk just to find your kids. I don't know if Rick Reminder is a parent or not, but I don't know whether I would jump that far. (laughs) Uh, I love my kids more than anything. Destroy reality? I don't know. This is where I love the ending. For multiple reasons and because I truly suspended my disbelief, my judgment of parenting skills by this time in the book, and probably because I saw a couple of in-between marriage therapy issues or, you know, talking to his dead dad issues, even like kind of schooling Beth, having showing a little bit morality issues. By this point, I've given up on judging Grant. And what I love is one, two choices, two realities, two, kind of closing the loop, because I believe where they wind up jumping is not to happy reality, is these are, maybe I'm, I'm misreading it, the Grant and whatever his wife's name, Sarah, the, the, the two who wind up jumping are the ones who showed up in volume two, volume three. That's where they're going. Or, or are you saying they're just going to the happy 19? I don't think they, these guys aren't capable of going to the 1984 I, reality. I seem to they remember them, them saying this is indistinguishable. This reality right here is indistinguishable from the one that we're in right now. And I just read it as since they were flip-flopping back and forth between, you know, happy and sad futures, <laughs> that they were just going to jump into the happy one. Sure. Yeah, my read is the same as Josh's that they're Rick confronts Rick. Rick. Grant confronts Kadir. <laughs> I kept thinking of Grant as Rick and I kept having to be like, no, 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 he's Grant. Rick is either the the writer or he's Rick from Rick and Morty. But for whatever reason, <laughs> Rick kept like popping into my head. So Grant, he confronts Kadir and there's two options. One is he, he shoots Kadir and the other option, he just kind of acquiesces, right? And so, yeah, my read is, is similar with Josh's. And I actually, I mentioned this in the beginning. I, I actually really, really liked that last episode, probably more than anything else in Black science, because that is sort of the first time you see the narrative, the way the narrative is structured, these two parallel stories that actually, you know, harkens to how these parallel universes work in Rick Remender's right, fiction. Right, right, right. So, hey, did you ever see the, it's a terrible, what? Okay, it's a Gwyneth Paltrow movie called Sliding Doors. Did you ever watch that? I saw the trailer. Yeah, no, I saw okay. the trailer. Does that count? <laughs> sure. <It's- laughs> look minus monkey spirits and millipede whatever's it's the same thing except there's no choosing to go genocide yourself right it's but it's like one moment two completely different outcomes but in in this case these two outcomes was like one choice grant choosing to be grant or grant choosing to swallow his pride i think the rest of the series could have benefited from that kind of cut over yes yes if rick remender had played with that concept 
within the structure of black science, that would have been brilliant. I mean, there were so many opportunities, I feel like, where he could have just really made this a mind fuck book. And I'm pissed that it was, for the most part, just a straightforward action yeah. story. It's a missed opportunity for me. And and so to, I do want to actually see if there are things we did like about the book. But the one thing that bothered me is, yeah, like that's not how quantum realities work. And I'm not saying I know that, but it's like there isn't a monkey verse. Like there isn't a version where we're all monkeys. That's not <laughs> how the butterfly. Why not, Rumin? Why not? No, look, I can totally because Josh mentioned Pax Romana, which is really good, by the way. Yeah, it's a book that presupposes what if a handful of Roman centurions somehow got lost and made it to America before Columbus and the conquistadors. And it just shows a different turn of reality. So when they show that with the Native Americans, okay, what if Native Americans encountered alien technology? This is what would have happened. Those were the more interesting realities than, oh, here's the monkey version of us. <laughs> like Here's the here's the fish strippers <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the, the first issue. He rescues a fish stripper. And as much as I like Pia getting her own fully realized self episode, so there's like an Asgardian version of the world. <laughs> like, there's a magic dimension. The, you might as well just say it's alien worlds, not alternate realities. And so they just weren't consistent yeah. with that. That actually is a really interesting point because yeah, you're right. Sometimes the realities are just like a, t- a hair off from our current reality. And then there are the ones where everyone's flying and they're gods. And yeah, as Josh mentioned, uh, there's fish strippers for some reason. <laughs> You're right. There is that lack of consistency. Are these alien worlds or are these alternate dimensions? Grant McKay made the right choice for the fish strippers, yeah. by the way. Yeah, that's somebody's daughter. That should be a spinoff, just like fish strippers. <laughs> I think there's a an 80s comic called fish police that might be along those lines or might meet that <laughs> i think i have an issue actually in a, in a box somewhere <laughs> all right so there's one other thing we didn't kind of beat up on there's been a theory floating around for a while that we're all in the matrix like we are all a computer simulation and that's literally what they say of a hologram yeah yeah the mantises are the core and we're literally vr entertainment for them and then one of the children universes of entertainment takes over, which is our reality in this book. What did you think of them kind of bringing that concept in so late to the game once they got to the core of the onion? It felt like he was just throwing something out there and trying to figure out if it's stuck. Something you read an article about? Yeah, I mean, there's this big buildup of what's at the core, right? And you get glimpses of it. You get these giant, like weird praying mantis sort of creatures. And once he goes there, it's actually pretty mundane. They're all speaking English. It's a theory that I guess like a lot of Black Science series, he doesn't really push it that far it's mostly an action series and it's something that he just really doesn't explore he just kind of like throws it out there as kind of interesting right and we really kind of forget about it because the whole concept of us being vr constructs of us really having no free will i mean that is something that he could have really sunk his teeth into made a whole series about that but again really happens at the last minute kind of perfunctory and i don't think he was altogether that interested in exploring the implications of it it's more of a hey you know surprise on with the show just kind of skips along the surface so it's hard to talk about it in detail because Rick Remender never really talks about it in detail. (laughs) It was one issue. It literally got to the center of the onion and it was one issue. We've only got a few minutes. I'm going to force you guys' hand. Tell me something you liked about the book. Death Cult Millipedes. (laughs) Death Cult Millipedes. I I love them. The, like every time they show up, I, I, I really enjoy those those issues. They, they are they are one of the few recurring themes. <laughs> I mentioned the art and there were moments definitely of surprises, like when Grant and Sarah are having that therapy session with their 
you know, alternate universe daughter, and then she basically tries, you know, executes them. I thought that's an interesting one-off episode. There were a lot of actually like these one-off episodes that I really kind of appreciated as being very inventive. It didn't really extend to the entire series. I like the homages as well. Like when he introduces the superhero group, I forgot what they're called. The League of Ethical Champions. League of Ethical Champions. And you've got that Kirby machine and you've got that bombastic narrative. It really harkens back to those old superhero comics. Sister Napalm. Yeah, I saw stuff like that I liked. And actually within that episode, I like how they're this clean, wholesome group. And then there's like a, like a lot of just nasty mutilation that happens to them. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, good stuff. Yeah, I like the mutilation, Roman. The mutilation. Yeah. <laughs> Harlow the Defiler. <laughs> Love that Muppet. I, I like that you call him a Muppet. That's amazing. <laughs> And also, they paid him off because they introduced him to several issues prior. Absolutely. He turned into like a main boss. It was awesome. Look, I think one thing I did enjoy, the frenetic, frantic, the kinetic, whatever the word is, the pace, it did get exhausting. But what it did prime my brain for was really appreciating the slowdowns. So again, Josh, you had like a one line description of it, like the marriage counseling episode. I really liked that one. I really liked the having a beer with your dad episode because in the backdrop, in the context of all the chaos, those felt more worthwhile. But there's no way you could have had a series of that without all of the the contextual crap that he puts his characters through. Any final thoughts on the books, guys? There are a lot of little things I, I quite enjoyed. I, I don't want to like come away from this like maybe Rick Mender's going to hear this one day and think, uh, no no one's going to hear this ever, Josh. No one's no one's listening. Let's be clear. Just in case, I'm just trying to catch my bets here. <laughs> so the onion concept, the fact that it keeps repeating everywhere, keeps running into it. I thought those little touches were really, really cool. I enjoyed seeing those in issue after issue. Some of the, the dimensions I quite liked, like the high Roma. The fish stripper ones? <laughs> no, I thought that. Didn't really care for that, actually. But like the high Roma, like the highly advanced Roman centurions, wanted to explore that universe a little bit more. The technologically advanced Native Americans who are duking it out with Europe in like World War II-ish, World War One ish trench warfare. One. Just a, like a lot of ideas that he threw out that I thought were fantastic, and they just needed to be explored a bit more. But you're right. The pace was just like on to the next thing, on to the next thing. The pillars clock, it's counting down, guys. We got to get back five minutes until we jump on to the next thing. That five minutes, in no case, like some of these sequences, that is not happening in five minutes. No. Like it was like, absolutely not. Give him an hour. Give him an hour. That seemed like an idea he might have had when he was first putting together the series. And then he realized that that would be completely impossible to do over the long term. And he's like, fuck this shit. It's not practical. After the fifth time of like, we're going to miss it, guys, it was just too much. <laughs> he gets rid of the time limit by like issue five or something like that yeah but it was literally every single issue in a row it was shit we gotta get back guys we gotta go collect the the resources we need you can't do anything in five minutes in this world <laughs> much less uh space monkeys yeah. <laughs> well josh this has been a lot of fun bitching about comics with you again yeah thanks for having me yeah so ryan what are we reading next? Well, uh, Roman, thank you for asking. And uh, stop me <laughs> stop me if you've heard this one. Next week's graphic novel will be about a war that's happening on parallel Earths. I'm not actually joking. That is literally what it's about. We are going to be reading next week, The Adventures of Luther Arkwright by Brian Talbot. This book was actually released in the 1980s, I believe. So it is an old one. And I would basically describe it as alternate universe sci-fi with the aesthetic of R. Crumb. And reading with us will be my friend and former classmate, Adam Boritz, who is the editor of the literary blog, The Millions, as well as Publishers Weekly. I'm not sure. It's been a while since we caught up and who knows who has what job these days. Well, I can't wait to read it. So yeah, 
Let's keep reading comic books and drinking. Let's keep doing that. The two staples of our post-pandemic lives. <laughs> and that's our show. Like what you heard? Be sure to share with a friend, subscribe, and leave us a review wherever you get your favorite podcasts. See lots of pretty pictures of the books we read at qtdcomics.com. And since we're sure no one's listening, prove us otherwise. Shoot an email over to say what I got right and what Ryan got wrong. qtdcomics at gmail.com give you a social media handle, but we're old and that feels like too much work. I'm Roman Segel. And I am and have always been Ryan Joe. And remember, your adult life was nothing more than an exercise in forgetting your childhood. <laughs> <laughs>